to the Blue Roads Changemaker Podcast. I'm Patty Talbot, CEO and co-founder of Blue Roads Education Group. In this series, you'll hear reflections about what it means to be a homegrown changemaker. We focus interviews around the Blue Roads mantra, homegrown solutions for a patchwork world. Our guests are amazing changemakers, solutionaries, and social innovators who've taken the path from local citizen to global changemaker and or from global citizen to local changemaker by working to change the system that creates the world's most challenging issues close to home and around the globe. I ask participants to tell us about their origins, how they've engaged with others different from themselves, how they work to create solutions, and how they've used these experiences to make the leap to changemakers addressing the UN Sustainable Development Goals. As their host, I try hard to take myself out of the conversation as much as possible so you won't notice the typical back and forth of the interview process. I hope this will help you to hear their stories as a complete narrative that addresses all four quadrants of the Blue Roads Changemaker Journey, Homegrown Solutions for a Patchwork World. Today's episode features Garland Smith, soccer player turned Peace Corps volunteer turned entrepreneur bringing light to villages in Uganda. Listen now to his inspiring story of homegrown solutions for a patchwork world. I am so excited today to be with you for another in the Changemaker series that we're doing here at Blue Roads Education Group. And today I have a real special treat. I have Garland Smith with me. And I first knew Garland as a student at the school here in Blacksburg, Virginia, where he was an elementary student and I happened to be the principal. And so it's extra fun to me to uh, see amazing changemaker work he's doing in the world, and I know you will be eager to hear his story as well. Garland is the founder of the Omushana Company, and uh, he will tell you all about that. We will start off by talking about the first quadrant of our framework at Blue Roads, which is the homegrown framework, and I'd like for you to just uh, talk to us about where you were grown and who your people are and how that's important to who you are today. I am a native from Blacksburg, Virginia. I went to Margaret Peaks Elementary School where uh, Miss Talbot was my principal. And of course, that was the, I guess you could say, the start of my, of my journey as a quote-unquote change maker. Growing up in Blacksburg, Virginia, Blacksburg is just a very, very comfortable nest of a town, of a community in the U.S. where everybody that lives in Blacksburg, they have this aura of, I guess you could say, positivity is what I found when I grew up in Blacksburg. I realized that when my mom, Carol Crawford Smith, used to say that all the time as well. And of course, when I grew up, I started to realize that more and more. Of course, as I grew up through middle school, high school, I was a soccer player. I'm, I'm still a soccer player at heart. I don't play as much now, but I played throughout uh, middle school, high school, and of course, in university too. And I think that um, really built a really nice community around me because that gave me a lot of support when I was on the pitch, just a community support around me, people loving you know, how I would play, really appreciative. And uh, of course, um, my coaches as well around me. Shelly Blumenthal was a big coach at uh, Blacksburg High School for me, for my development. And then also when I went to Radford University, just down the way from Blacksburg, of course, uh, Coach Revo was another fundamental person for my, for my development and my support. 
as well. Like there's a lot, there's a lot that that sticks to me with Blacksburg, of course, as well. When I lived in Blacksburg, it was when I was in fifth grade. We had extreme makeover home edition. So my mom is disabled. She has uh, the degenerative disease of multiple sclerosis or MS. And because of MS, uh, she's over time lost the ability to walk. But at the time, she was still walking, but she was using a cane. She used to be a professional dancer at the Dance Theater of Harlem. And then after time, she lost the ability to walk. So she started to teach dance in Blacksburg. She opened her own dance studio, the Center of Dance. But then, of course, over time, the, the disease got worse. So she had some friends that applied for us to be on Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And very fortunate and blessed, we were accepted for the opportunity. So when I was in fifth grade, they had Extreme Makeover Home Edition on our house. And essentially, they tore down our old house, built a completely new house for my mom, my brother, and I to live in. So it was one story. Um, my mom could then, you know, access every room in the house. She was comfortable in the house. And that in and of itself was a huge community effort because it brought together not just the people in the community, but also students at Virginia Tech. Student athletes at Virginia Tech were actually building the house for us as well. So these different things, you know, me playing soccer, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, my mom's dance studio in Blacksburg really built a really good community um, around my family. So very, very thankful for that. And I believe that provided my, my foundational understanding of power in people, power in numbers, and how you can achieve so much more working together. And of course, inclusively with that, it's not selectively. That's what helped, um, helped me grow as a person. course, you know, when you go through life, there's going to be so many different road bumps, hurdles, and you have to find a way to, to move over them, past them, through them, whatever it takes to continue on. It's always going to happen. So I can think of some of the, so the biggest challenges that I had faced. One, of course, was my mom with MS. So when I was growing up, I had to do a lot um, to support her and to support myself because in a lot of cases, I had to become responsible for my, my own growth. In that regard, of course, um, I had to rely on my brother a lot. I had to communicate with my mom a lot to see exactly what she needed, how much I could actually help her. And so going through that, of course, it was, it was communication and I relied on other people to help my mom as well, other people outside of the family. So that was very key. So I did put a lot of reliance on my brother as well. However, when I was going to be a junior um, in university, my brother passed away unexpectedly. And so all of that reliance that I did have on my brother then was put on my shoulders as well. So that was something that I had to, I mean, very honestly, I had to just accept and I had to just understand that I had even more responsibility at that point to not just take care of my mom, but then also my dad in that situation too, because my dad lost you know, one of his only two children. And they, my parents were divorced, so he was living by himself too. So I had to be a support system for both of them. So it was kind of that responsibility of knowing what happened, accepting it, but then being able to move on past it and knowing that it's going to be all right, that you know these things do happen, but you can always move past it. After that, I was continuing my, my college term, 
college itself itself was pretty was pretty difficult. So I was a student athlete. I played uh, D one soccer at Radford University. So I was already a student athlete while I also worked. And at one point, I actually worked three jobs in order to sustain myself because I had to pay my own rent. Um, I had to pay um, food, you know, everything. And so at one point, I was working three jobs, and it was. Some were sometimes difficult getting through that because I would work, you know, a night shift as a delivery driver until like three o'clock in the morning when we closed. And then I would have to get up still at 7 a.m. for training <laughs> and, uh, and just pushing through that. But I think there again, it was, um, I, I was able to take my past with helping my mom, taking that responsibility, handling multiple tasks to then, you know, handle being a student athlete who's also working as well. Yeah, so it's just it's just the knowledge, the experience that I could take from my past from that. And then after I graduated, I went and served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Uganda for two years. And so as a Peace Corps volunteer, what, what the Peace Corps is, is they take essentially volunteers from the U.S. and they send them to developing countries around the world. And the objective of Peace Corps volunteers is to, one, um, essentially support the beneficiary countries with trained men and women and trained because we go through three months of intensive training where we also go through language intensive training. So essentially we understand what our job role is in the communities where we're going to be placed. We understand the language. We pass a language exam in order for us to, you know, essentially become part of the community as much as possible. And from that, it was essentially taking everything from helping my mom, going through my brother's passing, translating that, of course, into being a student athlete who's also working. And then in Uganda to then push through all the different adversity that can come when you're placed in a, in a developing village with a different language, fresh college graduate, and you are supposed to be there to support the community. So essentially find solutions and see what can work. And when stuff doesn't work, which is going to be all of the time, how are you going to still keep your faith up and keep pushing forward through it? And I think everything that, everything that culminated before that allowed me to be as successful as a volunteer as I could be. When I was a volunteer, I would interact with a lot of community members that had you know, a lot of different unique problems. I can think of almost a timeline of really big problems that I, I tried to address with, with projects. So one was they have a lot of uh, crater lakes in the region where I lived in Uganda, in the southwest region. I think there's like 42 or 44 crater lakes. So a lot of crater lakes. It's a big fishing community. However, they're very steep crater lakes. And a lot of the villages around the lakes, they have to fetch water from the lake. So they have a very treacherous climb down into the lake to fetch water, to wash their clothes, this and that. And there was this one lake beside this community where a lot of kids had actually fallen into the lake and passed away because they drowned in the lake. And the problem is there was no way that they could stop that because that's the, their only water source, except for rainwater. And so my first project was to figure out a solution for that. So I worked with the community. We surveyed the community, saw how many houses there were, saw how we could maybe get water to reach these communities, um, to reach each household in the community. And so we developed a, a project proposal for a solar-powered water pipe to at least pump the water from the lake up to a good level where then it could be accessed by people, but it could also drip to their household. It was a very, a very big proposal, took a lot of work, but unfortunately it was not approved. <laughs> so right off the bat, I had to 
just accept that this is a dire situation. It's a good proposal, but that doesn't mean that we'll be able to do anything about it. Luckily, we we decided to do um, like a financing plan so that the villagers, they could get some rainwater harvesting tanks. So it's, it was some solution, maybe not as big, but it was something. So after that, there was another project that, that I was working on, which was, again, solar-powered um, water pipes because we already had that plan all together. But this time we were focusing on farmers. And in Uganda, a lot of farmers are affected by climate change. They realize a lot less rainwater season after season. And of course, with, with less rainwater, there's going to be less yields. So a lot of farmers will go from income farming to subsistence farming. And then a lot, of, a lot of farming households, because a lot of households are, are just, uh, they farm for subsistence already. It goes from subsistence to just less or maybe nothing. And so it's, it's a really dire situation. I mean, people don't have food. So we worked on another project there. Uh, we interviewed farmers. What irrigation would really mean to them if we were able to get water pipes to pump water from the lakes up to their, to their gardens, to their farms? We had uh, the Ugandans telling their own story. I had a translator to translate the story for us. And then we submitted that project proposal too. And again, that was rejected. <laughs> you know, it's a dire situation, income to subsistence, subsistence to nothing. And yet still, things might not always go, go the way that, that we plan, the way that maybe it should be as much as we believe it should be. So I had to, had to keep going. I think that was maybe around my first year. I, I continued working on my projects, of course. And then I, so personally, when I was living in Uganda, I had electricity, but it was very unreliable. It would go out at least three times a week for long periods of time. And it was really difficult for me to do any work. Of course, I couldn't charge my computer, my phone, and I couldn't, I was teaching a lot and I couldn't really make my session plans at night either because I didn't have, um, I didn't have power. I was actually fortunate compared to a lot of people around me. Because a lot of people around me, they didn't even have connections to electricity. If they had light at all at night, it would be from kerosene lanterns or paraffin candles. I realized how difficult it was for me. I could only imagine what it was like for the other people around me too. So in this situation, um, tried to get innovative again, think of another project could just you know support the livelihoods of the people in my community. And so that's at that point, um, I did some research on you know, other sustainable ways to create light. And there is this project online that I found, which is called the cooking oil candle. And I love the cooking oil candle. And so <laughs> essentially, it's an innovative candle where you're able to take just recycled bottles, you can cut um, the bottom of a bottle, you fill it up with water to a decent height. And then you can fill just a, a layer of oil because the oil will float on top of the water. And then from there, you can cut another bottle, you cut a hole in it, you put just any type of cotton wick through it, any type of cotton material, we would use old t-shirts, we would put it through the hole, and then you can light the wick. And then it's going to be a candle because it's going to burn the oil up and not the water. And then as soon as the oil is done, it'll go out because then the water will start being sucked up and it's, it's fairly safe. However, it's still not great. It's a sustainable way to provide light but it, it still isn't like the best. It's not light in your home, such as, you know, connection to the grid. This was around the time that I was about to leave Uganda, actually. And 
I felt like we were just, we were so close to touching on like some really good solutions. Of course, I had many other projects that I was working on, uh, working with schools, working with my host organization, different stuff. But the light issue just really stuck with me so much. It affected my productivity so much and my organization's productivity, everyone in the community. And so that's when I worked with my, my host organization and community to, to see what we could do about the light situation. And I saw that solar lanterns were just emerging into the villages where, where I was working. I bought one because I needed one for my own work. And I was like, this is really beneficial. I'm sure a lot of other people could use this too. And that's when the idea sparked to figure out a way to get other people, at least solar lanterns in their homes so that they could work at night. They could socialize at night. They could cook at night. They don't have to breathe in bad fumes from kerosene, lanterns, and paraffin candles. And so then that's essentially uh, where the idea for the Omushana company started. The Omushana company was it started with the need, right? It started with the needs assessment, the need to get light into homes. And then it was trying to find a solution around that. And of course, with the idea of keeping it sustainable, keeping it continuously working as well. So sustainable in the way of environmental sustainability and then sustainability in terms of keep working. So I wanted it to be a social enterprise instead of an NGO so that we essentially can, can fund ourselves, can fund the project ourselves. And with that, um, we found eco-friendly clothing was an emerging market that we could tap into. And so just like that, the Omushana company, the idea of the Omushana company started. So with each sale of eco-friendly clothing, you give a solar lantern to a household in Uganda that does not have light. And it's just that simple. So essentially, you yourself, you're making a change by purchasing eco-friendly clothing. You're practicing conscious consumerism while holding companies like the Omushana company responsible for, of course, sustainable and conscious practices. And as well, you're helping community members with light, but you're also eliminating kerosene and, and paraffin candles, which is also very unsustainable for the planet. I think it's about 30, 30% of the lighting sector, the world lighting sector's carbon dioxide emissions comes from kerosene lanterns. So as much as we don't think just the kerosene lantern impacts the environment, it actually does very much because there's a lot of people around the globe that still rely on, on kerosene lanterns, as small as that is. So that was another thing. From there, it just became you know, an all-around initiative, evolved into inclusion, making sure that we, we tackle as diverse of a population as we're able to with this initiative because it's a whole world vision, you know, eco-friendly clothing sustainable track of, of, of course, that, and then also with solar, solar power, clean light as well. And then now we're just pushing. We reached one year. In the first year, I'm very excited to say, <laughs> very excited to say we impacted, I think it was 1,400 um, 1, lives in our first year with clean light by selling 212 eco-friendly products. It's a journey that, that we're trekking, but of course, it's not possible without a lot of people and a lot of support that believe in the cause, that believe in what we're doing and, and, and believe in their, in their capacity to, to create a change when they work with us. With each purchase, we take the cost of a lantern directly out of the sale and we put it into our solar fund. At the time when we have enough solar lanterns for an entire community, that's identified by the host organization in Uganda okay. who we work closely with. Then we buy enough lanterns in bulk to provide each household in the community with a solar lantern. 
And the reason why we do that, the reason why we provide them all at one time to an entire community is so that it's kind of like the no household left behind, a light the village model so that each household can then acquire um, a solar lantern at the same time so that they can then progress together. I like to see myself as a leader. I earned roles as, as diversity committee president. I was a member of the conservation think tank. I was a tech, technical immersion host, which is where I hosted, it was seven trainees at my site for a week long, training them um, to, prepare, to prepare them for when they go to their sites. And I was also a Peace Corps volunteer trainer, which was another week-long training during their training as trainees before they go to site as well. And I like to share, share not just my experience, but also, of course, the problems, but also ways to overcome them too. So it was, it was kind of just sharing that and creating that, that, that cohesion in a group, group of people that believed in, in the same cause to, to push through it together. As I then became an entrepreneur, after Peace Corps, you know, Peace Corps was a lot of community development. It was a lot of working with people, getting a lot of people on board, you know, for the same cause. Whereas when I began as an entrepreneur, I had to do a lot on my own. I had, you know, of course, a vision, uh, different visions that I knew I really believed in, I knew would work. But a lot of times it's hard for other people to see that vision too. So a lot of times I, I had to and still have to move on my own to then maybe show people where it is so that they can come along with me too. And in that regard, the way that I keep pushing through is uh, when, I, when I get introspective. So I like to look inwards to always find, you know, the positivity, the belief, beauty, confidence, literally everything. I'm able to, to look inwards to find what maybe I've always tried to look outwards for as well. And when I do that, it gives me a lot of confidence and perseverance to keep pushing through. And, and then I know that I still have other people with me as well, um, my community, my friends, family, um, supporters, everyone around me that, that also then can start believing in the vision too. And then we start moving together in that way. Right now, as I think about it, think about my interactions, I just arrived back from Rwanda yesterday. I was in Rwanda for about three months, you know, interacting with new people there. And when I ref reflect on even just my most recent journey, I feel like a lot of it is almost tacit at this point. It's almost like a lot of experience has allowed me to, to interact with a lot of different people, um, no matter where they are. My, my classmates here at, at the University of Sussex are from all over South America, Europe, um, Asia, honestly, all over as well. And I, I, and I really love it. But if I, if I think back about what it was like first interacting with people from different cultures, people that aren't like me, that aren't from Blacksburg, Virginia, I think it, it all started when I was, when I was playing soccer at, in the university at Radford and my roommate was from the UK, he was British. And so that was my first uh, really big experience with other cultures. And it was definitely different, you know, even though it's like, you know, the most prompt, the other most prominent English speaking country, our English was not the same. <laughs> it was pretty funny. And my coach was, was English. Um, I had a lot of teammates from, from all around Europe too. And I think just interacting with them and understanding that even though they're from somewhere different, they might 
speak diff- like a little different, even though it's maybe still English or um, that we're all the same, that we all, you know, we share the same, the same commonalities, the same common aspirations, goals. And I think that understanding and my interactions with them um, gave me a lot of confidence to go to Uganda and do the same thing, essentially, just honestly, just, just be placed, just be dropped into a host community after just three months of training you know, and a language component to see, um, to essentially do something, you know, try to do something at least. Our, our three-month training, it gave us a little bit of a head start in that too, though. Peace Corps does a really good job at preparing you. So we had a language intensive as well, where we were given tasks um, throughout our days to walk around just the community, interact with community members. And I can remember it was probably one of the most nervous things I've done in my life because I'm trying a new language, not very well, and I'm just interacting with people as they're sitting in their shops. And I think just throwing yourself into that, knowing that you're going to make mistakes, knowing that it's, it might, you might be a little bit weird, but you know, being honest about that, with yourself, but also how you are, you know, that we're all human. And, and when you, when you show that and you interact that way with other people, they can also understand that. Um, They, they understand what you're going through and they're not going to be there to, to, you know, make fun of you, to laugh at you, especially if you're in a new community and you're trying something that's theirs, they're going to really appreciate that. And so that's what I think I, I take, I take with me when I go into new settings a lot. It's a lot of being humble. It's a lot of uh, staying humble, staying learning, and and staying accepting of of what you know. But um, of course, you know, go back going back to the learning. Always be ready to learn more. Thanks, Garland Smith, for your work to bring light to the world, literally and figuratively. Garland's now in grad school in the UK, doing a master's degree in sustainable development. You can tell he's already working to address the UN Sustainable Development Goals in a big way by bringing greater productivity and safety to communities in Uganda. By extension, he's addressing global goal number one, no poverty, number three, good health and well-being, number four, quality education, and also number six, affordable clean energy, number seven, decent work and economic growth, and number 17, partnerships for the goals. I'm sure there's some I've missed, but you get the idea. Garland's doing important work to change the world for the better. You can support his work through the Omoshana Company by shopping for sustainable clothing at omoshana.co. That's O-M-U-S-H-A-N-A dot C-O. Thanks for tuning in to the Blue Roads Changemaker podcast. We hope you'll follow our work and learn more about how you can get involved and start your own changemaker journey at www.blueroadseducation.org. We'd love it if you could subscribe to the Blue Roads Changemaker podcast and give us a rating on iTunes so that others can find us too. This also helps to elevate the voices of the amazing changemakers you're learning about in our series. Mm-hmm.